The Architecture Freedom Formula Program is now open for enrollment. Work with me and business expert Scott Beebe to systematize and automate your firm. End the chaos, win back your time and freedom, and structure your firm for scale and profitability. Go to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash freedom to discover more. We do tend to undervalue as architects. It's some things that we take very much for granted. The positioning of a window, choosing to put two windows in instead of one because you get a better quality of light. People see that as magic. Business of Architecture, episode 215. Hello, Architect Nation. I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the podcast for architects where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. If you haven't already, go get my free architecture firm profit map that I've prepared specifically for podcast listeners. You can get that at freearchitectgift.com. Just pop in your email address into the form on that page, and you'll get instant access to that video. Today's podcast is sponsored by AI Advantage partner, BQE Software. They're the makers of BQE Core, and I want to thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Really appreciate that because you're helping spread this knowledge about the business of architecture. BQE Core revolutionizes the ways architects manage projects, time and expenses, billing and accounting. Core saves you time while giving you more flexibility and more power as you grow your firm. Because it's cloud-based, you can work from anywhere. You can collaborate with other people across the world. And of course, it always has the kind of business insights to be able to make the decisions regarding your profit and your project management that you need to be making. Learn more, get a free, fully functional 15-day trial at businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. Today's episode of the Business of Architecture show, we're going to hear from co-host Ryan Willard. It is an episode of the UK edition of the Business of Architecture. And today you're going to hear from Simon Hallian, owner of Shared Architecture based in London. So when Simon first started his firm, he moved from Nottingham, uh, which you probably know is the home of the infamous Sheriff of Nottingham, to London. His business contacts were in Nottingham, so he truly had to start from scratch. And that's why I absolutely love this interview uh, with Ryan and, and Simon, because he really talks about what it takes to move to a new location and start completely from scratch, which is the same thing that I faced, uh, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, I lose count, eight years ago when I moved from Texas back to California. On today's episode, you'll hear how he chose a profitable market to pursue, how he established a network as a newcomer in the city, and how he won his first client in London shortly after moving there. Simon also shares his insights on what clients really care about. This is key. And how this knowledge has helped him be more effective selling architecture. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I do have an iTunes review here that was left by Noah. Noah, I want to thank you for your five-star review. Uh, Noah says, as a marketing consultant that works with AEC firms, this podcast has taken its place as my motivating and enlightening driving companion. I find myself quoting tidbits to clients and colleagues all the time, and I'm so glad I found this resource. Thanks for that, Noah. Really appreciate it. A great way to get your message out, your name out to my entire audience of listeners here. That's Noah from Communications Resources Northwest. Look, if you've been listening to the podcast and you haven't left the review on iTunes, especially if it's a positive one, we always like those. Head on over to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash iTunes. That will redirect you to the iTunes page where you can leave a rating there. And that's going to help other architects, designers, interns find this podcast that really has information 
that we can all all benefit from. I hope you're finding a lot of value out of it. So without further ado, let's get into the meat of today's episode. This is Ryan Willard interviewing Simon Hallian. Hope you like it. Here you go. Hello and welcome. This is Ryan Willard with the Business of Architecture in the UK and I'm here with the fabulous Simon Hallian <laughs> who is the principal of Shared Architecture and you're a sole practitioner and I know Sal- I've known Simon for a number of years and you've been like an amazing mentor to me when I was first setting up practice and there's such an incredible wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you have about architecture, about delivering jobs, and about being a sole practitioner and how to kind of hold it all together and have these projects, um, you know, delivered, that I'm really keen to kind of share that with other people and just have, you know, just have a little bit of your wisdom. So thank you very much for joining me today. And yeah, like, how how did it all begin? Because I love your, I love this, I love this story. A long time ago. I um, set up on my own in 2008, and I suppose I broke every rule book going in <laughs> setting up. I, um, I didn't have... I, I, it was born out of frustration, basically. It was born out of frustration from the practice that I was currently working in, and just the fact that the repetition of things that had happened in previous practices. So I, I, I needed I needed to, to jump, and and I did so. Uh, set up on my own. I had no work. Uh, I had some teaching, which um, I'll come back to in a bit. But um, so that that gave me a kind of window, um, and uh, I also. Um, chose to set up in what was the last great recession uh, in 2008. So work was drying up at a rate of knots, in, in certainly in, in Nottingham, where I was based at the time. Um, it virtually uh, worked for small practices, virtually disappeared overnight. Um, so what I did was decided to move to London, um, which seems like a good idea at the time. The streets uh, legendarily paved with gold and all that. Um, the slight drawback was that um, I'd never studied in London. I'd never lived in London. And I certainly didn't have any um, network or clients, so to speak, in London. But it just seemed that I had a hunch that um, as a sole practitioner, um, I, I kind of made an assumption that my, my initial work would be um, uh, around residential. It yeah. was a, a kind of skill that I had. And um, uh, I also thought that uh, the London market, the London economy around residential, and I had no real proof of this, just a kind of observation over the years and things that I read, um, was that it's a kind of an independent economy and, and that house... Uh, values, uh, property values in London were such that there was a market in people spending money on their homes and certainly in a recession when perhaps the market isn't so mobile Mm. people might be looking at Staying and staying, improving, and and certainly, uh, as I say, in Nottingham, if you were to talk about spending a hundred thousand pounds on on your home, on work to your home, um, which in in architectural terms is not a great deal of money but for a, for a household is a phenomenal amount especially when you can probably buy a house a fairly decent house in nottingham for for that kind of money um in london you can actually justify that that 
amount. Um, and uh, uh, crazy though it may sound, but that that seemed to me to be a kind of a leverage to a market to um, that might be there for me. So um, so basically, I. Uh, I set up, uh, I, I announced to the world that I would be called Shared Architecture, and by announcing the wor- to the world, uh, I mean designing a website. Um, and uh, I had a couple of days teaching at Nottingham Trent University. Just as I was about to move to um, London, I picked up uh, a couple of clients in Nottingham, which was Quite by chance, um, I'd been receiving some business coaching uh, from uh, a friend of a friend, uh, uh, which had helped me kind of come to the realization that the thing for me to do was to to work for myself. That was that was the only way I felt I was really going to at least challenge those frustrations of um, of, of working in practice, and yeah. and, 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 and and I suppose at the worst case. Uh, uh, example make the same mistakes but for myself but equally my um, more optimistic ambition was to kind of right some of those wrongs that I'd experienced in terms of the you know the quality of of work-life balance the attention to certain aspects of um, work to um, dealing with clients dealing with jobs winning work all those things I kind of you know had the arrogance of um, I was still young enough to be arrogant enough to think that I could kind of um, you know right those wrongs so um, I've been getting some coaching from uh, uh, a person to to kind of help me identify my frustrations and articulate them. And as I say, over a period of conversations, um, decided to, to set up on my own. And she actually <laughs> provided me with my first job. I think I'd probably convinced her enough of what I felt I could offer without really being able to articulate it in my own mind that uh, you know I was capable of delivering a job. So there I was, uh, all ready to move to um, London with my fir- my main income, being teaching in Nottingham and my first client being in Nottingham. <laughs> so uh, not textbook stuff, I would uh, agree. Um, but so how, th- did you, how did you end up establishing a network as soon as you got? I yeah. It's a, it's a sort of big move. It was a big move. I think the best thing, the, the, the thing in my favour was I just never appreciated what a stupid thing it was to do in, in, in kind of business terms so that was that was the thing I, I i kind of just thought this is london you know i'm a you know i'm an all right kind of person i can talk to people uh I, you know i have friends and i had uh, uh, one or two um people that i could in the architecture community that i could kind of talk to but they were you know what what i suppose what really worked for me was that I didn't know architects. So that, that what might naturally have felt like a, um, a, a safe kind of network to indulge myself in, in the RIBA and various other architects. You know, I didn't have that network. I didn't study in London and I didn't know people in the same boat and I certainly didn't know anybody as friends even as mm. architects. A couple of people maybe. But, yeah. um, um, so so that wasn't really uh, available to me and I had to kind of network amongst the people that I've met socially. I have had some family in London. I have friends in London, none of which were particularly um, connected to the architecture profession or the building um, industry. Uh, but actually, they were the people that I, I got talking to. They were the people who were saying, so what do you do? What are you doing? What can you do? 
and I was able to describe um, uh, you know my ideas of shared architecture and, and 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 the fact that I was a sole practitioner and I was kind of a one man band, so I was very kind of flexible, adaptable. I'd come and have, yeah, of course I'd come and have a chat with you about your uh, your leaking roof. Yes, of course I'd come and have a chat, and and that just got me referred on to people. Um, and I'm just trying to think who my first client was. My first client actually was passed to me by a guy who I ended up sharing an office with, who was a mm. friend of a friend who wasn't a qualified architect. He'd sort of cut his teeth um, doing um, loft conversions. And he just so happens, he was the one person that I thought, oh my God, here's somebody I can kind of work with. He announced that he was leaving the country within weeks of me moving to London. So he actually gifted me um, a window of opportunity with a client who said, this is a client, I don't particularly want them. Um, you're very, I'm, I'll introduce you and you're very welcome to make of this job what, what you can. So that, that was it really. And that was my first um, job. I met the um, the clients talked about the project. They had their nose put out a bit that the guy who they'd initially approached wasn't um, wasn't going to work with them. And I think, um, fortunately for me, um, I kind of won them over. Having met them, I gave, managed to give them a sense that um, I was competent, capable, eager, willing, and, and could do their their work. And that provided the the impetus so i had so i had one job in nottingham one job in london and a bit of teaching and so that kind of led to some fairly frantic traveling around the country um and trying to do these jobs but i always thought in my mind and i always said to to anyone who who would listen if i can get three jobs i can turn this into a business you know yeah. that that was that was my kind of goal in my so so fairly quickly um albeit in different locations i got two and i only needed one more and i kind of hoped that certainly the one in london would lead to more because I, by this time time i moved down there as it happened my third job came from the refer, refer referral in nottingham so uh, i was stuck in this position <laughs> thinking, of, maybe i should go back up to <laughs> <Nottingham>. <laughs> yeah yeah all the signs were saying actually nottingham is probably the place you should be which was kind of gay you know made me think right i'm definitely staying in london <laughs> it made me bloody minded because it hadn't quite clicked yet and i thought once i got to london i kind of um i saw the potential in in terms of uh, a, a ready market in in the residential market and i also got a real sense um of how i might capitalize on on what i had to offer really uh, so shared architecture came as an idea and as a name and as a sort of principle that mm -hmm. i'd um i picked up through a background of working right from from in college i i got involved in a, a movement called community architecture group which was an riba type initiative um and it was um very much focused around talking to people and listening to clients and enabling people and seeing them as experts in their own community and living their own lives. Now, that's kind of fairly common currency now, the fact we listen, we collaborate. But back then, it was, it was kind of laughed at, really, as an idea. It was sort of seen as this kind of weird marginal idea that, you know... How is it, can... this the idea of the, sort of the cooperative? Well, 
Um, I, I, it was an architects cooperative that I worked for initially, and so that ethos of of being kind of open and communicative and not overly hierarchical yeah. in, and not overly precious about who owned what in terms of a design, um, I, I picked up from an early stage. And, and certainly working with community groups, and this is in Manchester, um, you meet some fairly tough characters who have to fight for anything that they, they get in some of the estate regeneration projects and uh, for a community centre, people who who are very driven by their commitment to their local community, not necessarily to building beautiful buildings. Mm. Um, uh, so from a very early stage in my professional career, I was, if you like, I was very much confronted with the, the language of architecture as not being necessarily relevant or, or of interest even to people who, who were ultimately... Um, dealing with the built environment yeah. and, and, and in those days when funding was available um, were, were, had money to st- were in control of pockets of money um, uh, to deal with social issues which I came as an architect thinking every, every problem is dealt with as a, as a building and that's not necessarily the case and I learned that v- fairly early on so the whole notion of architecture as, um, uh, as a shared experience and as uh, a discussion mm. uh, and not uh, as something that an expert kind of imposes or comes ready-made with, you know, a set of, I'll do the architecture bit, thank you very much, um, was kind of bedded into me. And so this idea of shared architecture, when I, when I did set up on my own, I, um, I realized that um, over the years, one of the few things that I could really rely on in my own toolkit of of skills was was selling myself and my ability to um or, or interest and, and commitment to talk to people about about design you know that, that's kind of um that's my starting point really i'm not yeah. a i've never been a paper designer i never thought of myself as a as a as a um uh, an isolated designer someone who designs in isolation and and, and produces uh uh Results. Um, it's much direct more dialogue, it's, conversational. It's always been conversational. It's always been speculative. A lot of the um, the projects that I, I, I've enjoyed working on have been ones that that really became projects as the conversations happened. So, um, so that was actually something that I never really um, particularly valued, p- partly because the profession in the initial days never really valued it mm. and partly because it wasn't tangible it wasn't wasn't something that in college we were particularly encouraged along those lines because it very much was about producing models and drawings of things but mm. through um being in london and starting to talk get talking to people who own houses or flats the conversations with people started happening and I became aware that a I enjoy you know if I went if I was lucky enough to be invited to a dinner party, and somebody talked started talking about their leaking roof, which inevitably happened. Um, I I actually was happy to talk to these people. Um, you know, my professional caveats aside, you know, I can talk to people easily about these things, yeah. and I know about these things, and I feel comfortable. You know, that kind of the practicality 
practical application of building um, uh, that side of architecture has always has always been of interest to me. Um, so I was having these conversations, and I, it, it dawned on me really that as a sole practitioner, a I can sell myself because I don't have to try too hard. I I, I think. Um, uh, you know, the natural conversationalist in me was was a real help. From that, I found that people would talk about me and talk to other people and say, oh, such and such said you, you kind of, you know about stuff. And I also found that certainly in a London market, people don't, if you don't know an architect, it's actually very hard to find one. And Bear in mind, people don't know what architects do a lot of the time as well. So, so if I could get a referral, I was finding that um, if I get to meet people face-to-face in their property, that's good because they could see me I, I, over the years. And, and from my early training, talking to um, you know, very sceptical communities about now then, architect, what are you going to do for us? Yeah. Um, I, I felt that was quite a skill that I could build on that that people responded to because people had uh in in and 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 again it it sort of sounds like it was strategic but i'm I'm kind of talking more with the benefit of hindsight so i was basically talking to people about their own homes the most precious thing especially in london the most expensive thing they'll ever um own um and i was able to kind of um create a sense of trust and i think if there's one thing that that kind of works in that in that way is is being able to generate a bit of uh, to, to generate trust mm. quickly in an architectural relationship um i think i had like probably a lot of architects i, I kind of succumbed to a, a kind of an age-old idea that um you had to have built buildings and um, were able to talk about what you've done in the past and show a huge amount of experience and and, and design flair in order to gain that trust. But actually, I learned very quickly. I've always um, uh, had buildings built. You know, in the practice, I've project architected a lot of buildings from design to completion. That's always been a kind of key thing for me. But actually talking to people about their homes they want to know what you can do for them Mm. what you can do for their home then a lot of the things that i thought were important to try and sell such as flashy drawings models of jobs that i'd done previously trying to prove myself a lot of clients aren't so much interested in that they don't really care that you're um not a member of the ir R-I-B-A. Um, It's kind of... Those things are sort of taken as read, and I I wouldn't dismiss those things. They they have their uses, but they weren't the primary reason why I was getting to have conversations with people. Um, It was much more about them. It was much about what the the issues of their house were. Not enough space, not enough light, not enough something or other. Um, Too complicated. Um, so, So that... That gave me a bit of of, of um, insight into how I could work as a, a, a as a as a as a sole practitioner. Um, I did have ideas to kind of build up a practice, but that's I've kind of over the years I've kind of reassessed that, mm. and I, and I think um, uh, I. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm wary of it, but I've found that in the same principle that um, 
I, I know I can sell myself as a, a, a as an architect in the sense that my my um, uh, my attitude and my um, my skills and my my focus um, works well. I think I think that that's part of the strength. And what I've actually built uh, again. I would be lying if I said this was all strategically thought out, but over a period of time, I'm starting to learn that another aspect of being a sole practitioner, I can talk to clients and sort of say, look, I am the sole practitioner. I, you know, when you pick up the phone, whenever that, you know, whenever that be in the middle of the night, if you've got a water coming in, if the builder hasn't secured something, it's me that answers the phone. If somebody puts a stamp on a letter to you, it was me that not only wrote the letter, but it put the stamp on. Although it's all emails these days, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so, so I, I was slowly over over a period of time and over a period of projects, I, I, I was um, I was starting to be able to articulate what it was that I was bringing that was a value. Mm. So a personal um, uh, approach, a bespoke approach. Um, uh, an engagement, the idea, this is your project. You may rely on my expertise. You may rely on my creativity. Um, you re- may rely on my technical insight, but actually it's, they're, they're, it's they're geared to your project. Yeah, I may challenge you over some of your decisions, but it's your project, and I, and I value that, and I take that responsibility seriously. And that's, that's what I was able to communicate, and that, that's worked very well. And a lot of the, the projects I get now um, are referrals, um, and, and, and that's a very strong bond. If you've done something for somebody, somebody's neighbor, or you've done somebody's, somebody's close friend, and they can talk about the, some real examples of how you've helped them. And, you know, I think what we we do tend to undervalue as architects is some things that we take very much for granted, the positioning of a window, choosing to put two windows in instead of one because you get a better quality of light. People see that as magic. Whereas as architects, we do tend to kind of sort of think, well, anyone would have done that. And the other architect would have thought that or probably even done it better. We have a real kind of um, a lack of sense, I think, of, um, of, of the small skills that we carry around and we just kind of sprinkle around for free so um and 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 in the scale of projects that i work that kind of insight is really valuable you know the the idea to put a roof light in a in a a roof rather than a window in a wall is kind of um it feels rudimentary but it but but actually it makes a big difference and i've seen it make a big difference in a in a project and 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 actually you know in terms of all those things of cost of of wow factor versus cost something like that actually gets you a lot of um a lot of credit with with clients and they will talk to people about that because it's noticeable so those things kind of work very strongly and that is a wrap Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Business of Architecture show. As a podcast listener, get access to my free four-part architecture firm profit map by going to freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AI Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of BQE Core. BQE Core puts the power back into your hands to allow you to manage projects, time and expenses, billing, and accounting. It gives you the power you need to grow your firm effectively. You can work from anywhere, you can collaborate with people across the world and gain powerful business insights with their intuitive and easy-to-use graphical interface. You can learn more and get a free 15-day trial 
at businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. Now, as always, I got to remind you that the views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world. Carpe diem. Hey, this is Enoch, and if you're still listening, you must be a diehard podcast listener. I appreciate that. Maybe you just haven't had the chance to hit that little skip button yet. But since you're still listening, I just want to ask you if you would, if you if you can think of a potential podcast guest, someone who you think would really deliver some gold, some value here on the show, that you really want to find out more about them, about how they built what they built, send me an email, send me your suggestion over at enoch at businessofarchitecture.com. Let me know who you want me to interview. And I'll try to get him here on the show. And if you haven't already left an, uh, a rating over on iTunes, I'd really appreciate that. Especially if it's a five-star review. Then we'll really appreciate it. All right. Have an awesome week. Until next time, this is Enoch signing out.